What is the nutritional status of children in your town? How many tourism and hospitality companies are operating in your community? Answering these questions at a small scale seems like a challenge. However, imagine scaling this to a country, say with 123 municipalities and 26 states and a federal district. Answering these national questions with survey methods is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm John Baylor. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Rosemary Pennington is away. Our guests today, who are going to help answer these questions in the context of Brazil, are Pedro Silva and Denise Silva. Pedro is retired and voluntary principal researcher at the National School of Statistical Sciences and former president of the International Statistical Institute, the ISI. He has a wide and extensive experience in statistics, including sampling and research methods, household sample surveys, estimation for small domains and official statistics. Denise is also retired and voluntary principal researcher at the National School of Statistical Sciences of the Brazilian Institute for Geography and Statistics and Senior Associate Researcher at the Society for the Development of Scientific Research. She's an elected member of the ISI and past president of the International Association of Survey Statisticians. Her area of interests include official and public statistics, survey methods, statistical modeling of survey data, small area estimation, and statistical education. Well, thank you so much, you two, for being here. You're welcome, John. Thank you, John. Oh, it's 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 such a treat. I mean, I, I you know one of the great joys of doing this podcast is being able to connect with with friends around the world, particularly friends that are involved in these in amazing projects in in different countries. And and so you know, I, I thought it it might be fun for us to to think within this the sort of first part of our conversation today about some of the work that you've been doing and some of the challenges. And and you know, so I, I'm going to start with Denise, and I'll I'll ask you a little bit about this this challenge of trying to define how many people are working in the service sector and you know what is a service sector how do you even start with such a problem yeah well the this, the, the service sector is uh it's a sector with what we say intangible goods you no know? so we and we know it's a part of the economy that of the society that employs a lot of people so the service sector survey in Brazil has been carried out by the Central Statistical Office for a long time, and but there is always there are always challenges, challenges that are coming and coming and coming. And of course, if you think that many different uh, business have different uh, specialities or activities that they do. Um, every group would like to have information about their own sector. So if you think about food and or restaurants, you may have the big restaurants, but you can have the bars or you can have the food trucks. So what you want in fact is to know about the the how they what they produce, how much they sell and, and how many people are employed. So that's the idea that you may start with a frame that may come from a business register but you want to have a survey there and special methods to get information and to estimate and, and to provide economic uh, like, uh, like revenue and, uh, in, for each of these small groups. So it may be that you may need a very, very big survey or a very, very big 
sample or you may use special statistical methods to using statistical models to predict uh, the values for each of these groups. You know, one of the things that, that came to mind when I think about this, and, and we'll, we'll talk also about um, you know, some of Pedro's work with, with nutrition kind of surveys in your country, but, but when I think about the food services, as you had mentioned there, they see, it seems like restaurants are often opening and closing, that it's a very volatile business in terms of, of, you know, if you have, you mentioned the idea of a frame, a list of all the currently registered restaurants, say, but, but you don't necessarily have record of unregistered ones now or ones that have, have opened since the last time the register was taken. So it sounds like that's a, that's a really hard problem. It is a hard problem, and one of the things that is uh, that people uh, have to consider that a survey is never really better than its frame. So there is a lot of work in survey methods to keep good frames, to do uh, data integration and record linkage and have good agreements between institutions to keep good frames. And then every year, we need to select a new sample after updating the frame. And even though we know that they will come with different activities, so they may start with one activity and move to another activity, or they may be, or they are already closed. And there is also a group that will not be, uh, be counted in the, uh, considered in the frame. So the survey will always represent the frame for that year. Yeah, and I, and that's always such an interesting that's a that's an interesting question about what what a frame in this context, you know. And for people that are just coming to this that are not necessarily statisticians, it's mm -hmm. it's this the list of all the population elements that you wish to represent in some in some way in some systematic way. Now now in in Denise's story, Pedro, we're we're hearing this frame that's being shaped in terms of of establishments. And once you have establishments, things like workers are just a characteristic of an establishment. But you've been involved in a national nutrition survey of children. I mean, I, as hard as it is to think about, you know, f counting the number of restaurants or getting a list of this, getting a list of all the children that you want to sample in a country as large as Brazil. Wow. You know, so, yes. so what, what were you trying to, what kind of problem were you working on? And then how did, how did you start dealing with some of this, figuring out who to even sample? Yes, John, thanks. Um, the survey was really challenging because actually there are no frames uh, from which we could sample children or even their families directly. So this was part of the methodological design that was done for the survey we did. The target population was that of children under five years of age. And basically, uh, we used a, a traditional survey method for sampling enumeration areas, which are little areas in the country designed by the IBGE, the official statistics agency for the census, and for which we have some information from the census period. Um, but we sampled these. And within each of these uh, enumeration areas in our sample, we had to conduct a, um, a screening operation where we basically uh, sample households 
and we knock on the doors of these households to, to ascertain whether they do or they don't have a child in our target population under the age of five. When they do have children, we attempt to conduct an interview. When they don't have children, they are ineligible for the survey. We move on, we sample more households. We did uh, sampling uh, screening. We didn't screen every household in an enumeration areas for cost reasons. And then we had to use something called inverse sampling approach uh, in order to have a stopping rule. When do we stop sampling households to find out uh, new households with kids? Whenever we could find 10 households in an enumeration area that we managed to find kids on and interview, that's our stopping rule. And that, of course, had consequences for the weighting of this sample and for the analysis uh, we had to do from it. You know, as, as I'm listening to the, the, the description here, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just, let's, let's talk a little bit about the scope of how big this is. How, how many people live in Brazil? How large is the population? Uh, the most recent estimates is that we have a population of close to 215 million, but we are just now conducting a population census, which reached sort of a milestone at the end of September of having already counted half the population, roughly uh, uh, speaking. Uh, but it's 215 million, uh, 5,500 municipalities, which I think are like your counties, and spread over eight and a half million square kilometers, okay? So this is very challenging. Any a major household survey in Brazil is simply a major undertaking. Yeah, I think it's just it's just really it's interesting to think about the scope of this. And, you know, in the scope when you're, you know, you know, I don't know how many of this the the population are children under age five, you know, but but I I suspect that the, the population in the northwest of the country is is a little bit different density than the population in Rio. Certainly, yes. In terms of the whole population of children under the age of five, it's about 10 to 11 million. It's between 10 to 11 million. And we did this survey because uh, previously we have information on nutritional status from major household surveys on the population as a whole, uh, but not uh, good enough information for this particular age group. And that's why the Ministry for Health uh, decided to commission this survey to find out uh, in more detail about the nutritional status of these children and their in, uh, food intake. And also, this was very challenging survey. We had to have a secure agreement from parents to actually draw blood samples so that uh, a series of uh, markers of uh, potential health issues could be established from these blood samples. So, you know, you talked about the Ministry of Health being one of the sponsors of the, uh, you know, one of the, the sponsoring groups of this, this survey. Denise, who was the, the sponsor for this service sector survey? And, and why was it important to survey this group? What kind of decisions were going to be supported based on your sur the survey work you did? Well, the, the service sector, the survey, uh, the survey for the service sectors is, is encompassed in, within the business service of the Central Statistical Office. And they all the all information from industry and 
and retail and also service, they are the two things. They 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 are they they produce indicators for the uh, Brazilian economy. So the the survey effect is part of the national statistical framework, and also it's also used to is incorporated in the calculations for the gross product. So just sort of the, it's one of those measures that are important for the economic health of the country. And it's, yes. one, it's part of that, one of the ingredients that helps contribute to that. Yes. So in, in contrast, I mean, when you're looking at a nutritional survey, Pedro, you know, it's, it seems that that's kind of ex, exploring kind of the, the health of this community, of, you know, the youngest members of your society. So what, what did the Ministry of Health hope to learn from the work that, that was done and what actions did, would be based on that? Basically, they wanted to find out whether uh, they could or they needed to establish new programs that could uh, tackle diseases like some vitamin deficiencies, uh, some growth deficiencies. We already have programs for giving uh, income to, to families uh, in very poor uh, conditions to support their uh, access to food and, and so on. But little was known about the potential impact of, say, food restriction or difficulties on the growth of these children, on their potential acquiring, acquiring of diseases related to some nutritional uh, deficiencies in cer in certain, of certain kinds. And that's where the ministry was uh, focusing the efforts. That's why they agreed to fund a study, which besides collecting anthropometric measurements, it collected detailed recordings of the food that was given to the child over 24 hours before this survey interview took place. So they could see what the children were being actually uh, given uh, to eat or to, 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 to feed them. And also to collect these blood samples, which were extremely challenging to do in some parts of the country because we had to collect the blood samples keep them refrigerated and then have these uh, fridges with uh, the material, the biological material, travel quickly, as quickly as possible to the nearest lab for processing and so on. Uh, that was probably the most challenging part of this survey. You know, and I, 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 uh, I wonder if people appreciate just how expensive it is to do a study of either of the types that you're describing. About you know, how much time does it take to do a survey of like the industry sector? And, and what's the effective cost for executing that, if you have an idea? Well, um, I, I don't exactly have an idea because it's, it's, it's within the framework of all surveys of IBG. But the timing is that all business surveys, they, they take usually one year from data collection that is to at three to four months to producing the results. So we have to wait for the for the for the for the uh, March of each year when the most of the business, even the small business, will close their accounts for that that year, and then you collect information. So it takes the the you take usually one year to to get all done. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking to Pedro Silva and Denise Silva, and 
about their statistical work in Brazil. And, but before we get to a little more philosophical, I, I wanted to, to, to ask the same question to, to Pedro about kind of the scope of the study. I mean, Denise was, was just talking about a survey that was regularly conducted, sort of built in and kind of an, an integral part of kind of economic policy within the country. Whereas Pedro, the, the study that you were talking about was this nutritional investigation that was, was being done kind of uh, to, to, to answer a particular question for an organization. So about how long did it take to, to build and execute that and about, at about what cost, if you have a sense? Okay, the, the nutrition uh, status of children survey took some 15 months, months to plan. Uh, it conducted data collection over 12 months and basically took another year, maybe 14 months, to produce the bulk of the survey results that were anticipated. But the data sets are available now for wider use and it, they are going to be used for longer. I mean, uh, students, uh, researchers will be writing papers using data from this survey, but the results have long been delivered to the Ministry for Health. And it was a study that cost, um, uh, the data collection was started in March 19, and we had to end it a month before it was scheduled to end in March 20 due to the pandemic. Uh, it was designed as a survey for roughly 15,000 households to be interviewed, and it costs around 4 million US dollars in Brazilian uh, currency, of course, of the time. That's an expensive study. Probably if it would have to be done in the US, it would cost more. Labor is cheaper in Brazil in comparison to the similar sort of labor in the US. Very good. Uh, well, you know, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point, and I'm sure that this is true with a lot of the, the studies that you two have been involved with, that it's not only a, a resource for the for government and government agencies to make decisions, but it's also a a, a data set that might be available for broader investigation, and, and I think that's pretty exciting. I, you know, I want to change gears a little bit, sort of take take us from the the particular, which is you know amazing work that you two have been doing, to to a to the more general. And you know, we we live in this this in a, a time when the role of statistics in society seems to become more important, and also that the impact of statistics on, particularly public statistics on government practice and on understanding operations and activities within government becomes more important. I, you know, I'm curious about how your, you know, both of your understanding of, of the role of statistics has, has changed and evolved with time. And I'll, I'll put this up. Who would like to go first to weigh in? I might have a, a go first. I think this trend of the increasing importance of statistics and the increasing challenges for statistical work uh, to provide meaningful and timely information for anybody who, who needs uh, insight uh, from the world uh, using data has had a, a, a gear push when the pandemic hit us in 2020. Before many people, before the pandemic, many people might think of statistics as something removed, not really touching their lives a lot. 
although that might uh, I might say that perception is not very good like when prices rise and we measure price increases and the government takes decisions like raising or lowering interest rates and other economics or policy decisions these affects everybody but the connections are not so clear but when people started being told you cannot leave your home today because there is a pandemic uh, in your town, in your location, and the contamination risk is too high for us to have people moving around unless it's absolutely essential. Statistics moved uh, or was pushed a gear up and basically affected uh, more closely the lives of more people, I think, than was perceived before. And I think that gives us increasing opportunities for demonstrating the value of good statistics, but also challenging issues like fighting the fake news around the same topic and similar issues that emerge in other areas. Yeah, I, I was, I was, I, first I was, to, I want to add what Pedro said about uh, the COVID pandemic. And I have an example that I keep saying, uh, I teach the freshness the first year in my university, and then I used to do an exercise with them in the first two months of or in the, the university, uh, doing things with time series and moving averages. And suddenly, moving averages came something that everybody was talking about. Everybody was talking about moving average and time series. And now, and then the students will say, teacher, we just talked about it. It was one of our first topics. And then my sister that works in the justice and other people that came to me and said, what is that all about, about this movie average? Which average is this? So it means that people have to understand this and then talking about it, everybody. But on the other way, I also want to, to highlight that there has been a movement and I, and I think it's a worldwide movement, uh, talking about the millennium goals and then the uh, development goals, that all this, all this saying that, yes, we need to measure, we, you need to, to measure the development on these issues so we can plan and we can improve. And I, and I believe that this has been moving us to, to, to understand that data, if not statistics, but at least data, data literacy is important to, to understand society and to argue for your rights and to dispute fake news. So I, I think that is, it's not only, and of course, if you are talking about data literacy, you are talking about statistical literacy as well. So I think that this is bringing all of us together and people talking more about statistics, everybody talking about it and this nowadays more and more. Yeah, so you, you were mentioning some of these, like the, the development goals, and I was thinking about like UN Sustainable Development Goals and some of these, these, these are all based on defined targets. And a lot of those targets, and as, as you were mentioning, there are, are these, there's a measurement aspect. What, what is the right way to, to characterize it and to characterize this outcome, whether it's, you know, you know, healthy children in the case of like a nutritional study, or is it in terms of a healthy economy? And so how, how do we measure things? Uh, so you, you mentioned something, and I thought I'd, I'd get you both to weigh in on this, and that is the idea of data literacy. 
So how, how do you define data literacy? So it's, it's the idea that you can understand the data and the values and you can understand the, not only the, the, what you are measuring, how you are measuring and how you can use it and how to, to do calculations and representations of this data that will make sense. So we have so one of the things that I that I want to highlight is not only the 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 numerical part of it, it's the conceptual part of it. So if you if you are talking about um, uh, unemployment rate, it's not only understanding that is a rate and how and it's measured, but what is the definition of that, which is the concept and the operational definition of it. So this is the idea that to measure something, you have to define it. So data literacy has to be with putting the, the, the understanding of the number is with the number understanding. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to it uh, the idea that um, all measurements, all numbers um, have context. And it's part of the challenge, uh, particularly for us statisticians, perhaps not for you, sir, who are a fantastic communicator, uh, to transform, to translate our, our, our work, the outcome of our work into messages and stories and where the numbers make sense, where people can engage with them and uh, use them in, uh, in proper ways, adequately, for whatever purposes they, they, they have in mind. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a great aspiration for, and I think it's something that we all hope to, to achieve. I'm, you know, I, I hate to say, but that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Denise and Pedro, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome, sir. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's really an honor. Very much. It's certainly a pleasure for me. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. statistics.